2: Oh, and welcome to The Great Indoors. <laughs> the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson Smith and I'm Sophie Robinson and we are, well look here we are, we're together and uh, if you haven't guessed by now we are outside and well look I can see tulips and grass and look, there's a gardener over there hair in my mouth has been blown in by the wind such as the bucolic
3: surroundings. Later we'll be talking about all things eco-paint and our style surgery poses the existential question of what to do with a room that is
2: not in fact a room. But before we get into that why don't I reveal where we are and why we are here. We are in Regent's Park in central London and we are joined by a guest. I mean, what this is so food, isn't it? it? Not only am I here with you in real life, but we've got a guest too. Oh, it's so exciting. We're here with the garden designer, Arit Anderson. Now as well as being a garden designer, Arit is a writer and a presenter on BBC2's much loved gardener's world. She has a background in fashion, which I can totally tell, looking at the outfit I'm totally loving that jacket, and as a holistic therapist. When she discovered gardening she found that it brought together both the visual flair and the healing aspect of her other work. Her focus is on simplicity and on gardening with an awareness of the changing climate. Hi, Aritz. Hello, it's so nice to see you girls. <laughs> Thank you so nice. Nice for schlepping out to the park to meet <laughs> us. Oh, it's
0: all just so lovely. It's spring, the birds are singing, the buds are coming out. It's my favorite time of year. Oh, it's a great time of year. I mean, it is the time when it's like, oh, excitement and the light <laughs> We've now the clocks have gone forward. All the um, buds are coming through, of course, bulbs. We can see the tulips. Even though the beds over here are looking a little bit bare, but you can start to see all of the crowns of the plants start to come through. In a couple of months time, this is gonna look completely different. And at this time of year, it's all about observation observation being vigilant in your garden it's like a race now you know i kind of think in my own garden the Acer that i had you know it's only feels a few weeks ago when there was a few buds and now it's kind of in full leaf and it's got that beautiful beautiful verdant green i mean when we kind of look at some of the um hedging here the beach it looks amazing but this time of year yes yeah, start observing what's going on in your garden because it will start telling you what it needs to happen within it i know i've got a box of dahlia tubers shouting at me come on Get me potted up because they kind of need to be potted up now, ready to be in full flower for sort of like July time. So yes, yeah, so there's a bit of forward planning that's still got to be done.
3: I quite like the idea actually. I'm just going to take my chair outside. I'm just going to sit there. If anybody asks, <laughs> I'm watching. <laughs> I'm very busy
0: watching
2: and uh, I'm planning.
3: Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. it's true. It's
0: true. That, that's the thing. I think that the reason why you know, and and we do feel guilty for literally having that cup of coffee and observing and it's something that i would you know would do would go out with my cup of coffee if it's warm enough even still in the pjs and look and see what needs to be done so um what i've learned over the years is to not at 9am run to the nursery <laughs> or you know, the garden center and go and get loads of plants but it's to actually look and see what is actually in the garden where are the gaps what's coming up, what hasn't worked, what's been razored by the the slugs, um, and what do I need to do? And that sort of discipline on a daily or weekly basis, however often you can go out into your garden, is a good one to be had.
3: I'm going to row you back a bit, because I am not a natural gardener. I fancy myself with a straw hat and a basket, you know, lightly (laughs) deadheading roses and things. But, you know, if I'm honest, not going much further than that. But, you know, obviously, as creatives, we love colour, we can do rooms and especially a lot of listeners to the podcast, you know they might understand, here's a room with four walls and I like these colours so I'm going to paint this and, you know, upholster that. You come from a fashion background, can one take those principles into the garden how do you yeah. how do you bring your indoor creativity to outside where it's all moving and yes. growing yes <laughs> and that's the difference
0: that is the big difference outside it is all moving and growing whereas obviously you can create um, a much more sort of static space indoors control control, <laughs> control. I can tell you yes the not, control. not with a the the
2: 10 year old there's, <laughs> no, there's nothing
0: static in my house <laughs> so when I was uh, thinking about yes of course I've come from fashion so we always talk about in our wardrobe the staples don't we we've got to have the coat the big investment we've got to have a suit in there again you know that kind of anchors everything and that I kind of akin to trees and shrubs oh. that's the backbone of the wardrobe stroke garden
2: yeah. or is that Leather. like oh I'm going to go, go in with an analogy is that like your neutral sofa your investment piece yes that you could then dress with colourful cushions. Absolutely. absolutely. So the kind of like solid basis. Yes. So the big
3: bits you've so got the, to have, the bed, the sofa, the coat, the suit, the trees, the shrubs. Absolutely. See? There we
0: go. So there you go. So once you've got those big investments in and you understand where they're going to go, so say like for trees, they're going to be there to offer you shade. They're there as focal points for you within the garden. They're going to be habitat creation for wildlife. So once they're positioned, then we can start to bring in The bit of magic that kind of changes the wardrobe, that updates the room. So
2: I'm straight in with earrings already. I'm straight in with your
0: (laughs) dahlias. Earring level yet? No. Back off! Back off! (laughs) So then it's a case. So if we we were thinking of it with the the clothing analogy, Mm -hmm. so I've got my suit, and I obviously I don't change my uh, suit every single season, but I will change it and put a blouse or a new jumper. Yeah, the next level of investment, which will kind of update the look. And that's what I think of as the perennials. Plants that kind of come up every year... Yeah, daffodils. and then they die back. So, so daffodils are your bulbs. So you're, and, and they will come back every year. So those would be good. And what we have got over here, so grasses, for example. So we've got some grasses coming over here. These hookers, they're the things that can kind of come back and still add add a little bit of backbone. But of course, that they're kind of keeping your wardrobe really kind of your up funky to date. classics. Your funky classics. Funky you know, classics. could be those. You could, yeah. you might change them, add a few in each year. But you know, you've got the ones you love. Yeah. You know, there's always that jumper that in you in want to throw out. You in the colors that, that you like yeah. and the same like as you said within the room setting that would be now where you start to bring in sort of you know a lovely blanket or a throw that's going to set it off or your or your cushion like the furnishings yeah, the, curtains, the furnishings the, exactly yes. that then, the next level, now you're getting into your earrings and your accessories, she's and they're fun, because I can tell Sophie, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's back in, she's back 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 in, in the room. room. So then, of course, for some of the absolute really high zing and, and pizzazz, it's like the annuals. And that's where you can kind of be playful and you get the different colours, the high level of colour that can come in. But in terms of like the breakdown, as you were saying, Kate, it's about thinking about your spaces. I need to get the structure in, then I'm going to bring in the next layer of fillers and then I can be really playful with the annuals and the bulbs.
3: And that actually immediately sounds less scary than having to do the whole thing, because if you know that your trees and shrubs and perennials are kind of there in the background. You could actually go to the garden center or wherever you buy things from and think, oh, this year, I'm feeling this kind of dahlia or this kind of annual. So you can change it a bit, but you haven't got to dig the whole thing up and start again. Absolutely. But it's a bit of fun and involvement. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, could,
0: no you could. I could get and, into this. <laughs> and, and you could. And the other thing as well, to say, you know, I sort of say to people, if they are a little bit nervous about, you know, oh, my God, because once I put it in the bed, I remember when I first started to garden, you know, like most of us, you're very, you're very nervous about... I put that plant there can I move it and my sister who is a gardener said just move it and I'm like oh I said like, dig it up and it, stick it, it, somewhere up and move it somewhere else I was like really but the other thing that you can do which is great especially for people that are sort of setting out with um, gardening or who want to experiment a bit more with colour is in your containers so when you create a container, which is like a mini garden... Which I suppose
2: is good as well, <laughs> shrinking it down to people who have smaller yes. spaces, balconies. balconies.
0: And even a windowsill, you can kind of, you know, see what you can pack in. But it's sometimes, by putting it in a container, it means you can move it around the garden yes. and put it in a gap. Oh, I'm not sure about that. It looks a bit dark over there. And I'm going to take a bit of bright pink and see how that looks. And, you know, I'm sure that you're always talking to your listeners about, you know, being experimental with colour. Mm. Um, and people aren't always quite sure. So it's a confidence thing, isn't it? that you build up um, to kind that's of bring really that colour good in. idea. As a,
2: as, for me as a commitment phobe, I <laughs> love <that's> the idea <laughs> that I can put things in pots and move them around and carry on playing. The idea that, oh, I've done it and it just stays like that. Yeah. You know, I suppose that's a creative spirit, isn't it? If you like creating things and you like seeing things different colours next to one another, it's nice that you can still do that in the garden if yeah. you don't root everything in the ground. But actually what you're saying, you still
0: could dig stuff up. Well, you can still move things. And the thing is, is that once you've put it in the container, and if it is a perennial or a shrub, it means that once you're happy with it, then obviously, yes, of course, it's going to have a longer life if it goes into the ground. Yeah. Mm. But to, to start off, it is something whereby, start yes, in it's really starting a container. What you can also do, if you've got it in its container that you bought it in, from the um, garden centre, you just chop off the bottom so that the roots can come down. Oh, yes, I love that look. And so that you and can just yeah, it goes into, yeah, the, ground it goes into the ground a little bit, but then it's but it's contained because you don't want it to go and get too big yet because you're still not sure. So it is. It's like it's kind of being playful. I mean, I'm always move my cushions around.
3: Yeah, I have to Yeah, absolutely. Say. <laughs> And you've made it sound so much less terrifying because it is that commitment, isn't it? And also, I remember saying to someone once, I wanted, I can't remember what it was, a rhododendron or something, and I wanted a pink one. And they were like, mm, well, you won't have the soil for that. It'll come blue. <laughs> and so you'll have to change the soil and all that kind of thing. I mean, there is also an element that you can't, there's only so far you can fight,
0: fight your earth. Well, that's exactly it. You just beat me to it. It's, we have a saying like, don't fight the site okay think about what you've got in your garden have you got sun have you got shade do you get a lot of water do you get little bits of water you know, are you able to test the soil and, it's, and it is about the observation again maybe looking around at your neighbors you know what are they growing successfully what's really good and i think also as well it's very tempting when we go to the garden center i've done it i'm not going to kind of profess to be some angel when you get to the garden center the excitement levels up i want that i want this yes, i want that yeah. and you kind of get really really Big ones because I haven't to, got time to wait for it to grow. <laughs> That's it. Why would <laughs> I want to do that? You know, and we're impatient and we get it home and we pop it in, and we haven't maybe necessarily done our research um, to make sure that that plant can take full beating sun, for example. So, my advice um, really is it is the, the joy of gardening is it teaches you to be patient. It does have to, <laughs> and it has we taught need me that. I think you've heard that, and <laughs> I, we need that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly was definitely running around when I first got my garden. And putting everything in in the wrong place, um, and you and that's the part of it. It's the learning. But what I realised quite quickly is, so say for example, we're out in lovely Regent's Park now. You know, go to parks, go to gardens, and you know most gardening types they are they're a pretty friendly lot. And you know, I'm sure even if that lovely gentleman up the road, if we asked him a question, he's kind he of liked it he, he's like, <laughs> he probably thought, oh my god, marauding women, get out of here. But um, but you know that there's a lot of help out there, and it's a case of kind of having a look and see what looks good and then understanding more importantly what your garden um, has to offer because plants want to thrive. Yeah people go, I can't garden, I've not got green fingers. It's like those plants, they want to survive. They just need yeah. to be in the right place. Gosh, right I'd plant, never thought right of place. It like
2: that. It's
3: the yeah. other way round isn't it? It's yeah. yes. The plant wants to grow and will unless you're presumably working quite hard to kill it. <laughs> If his <laughs> natural instinct is to survive. Yeah, yeah, fair point. It is
0: definitely so. So I kind of, you know, been somebody that's come into gardening later. So I, I always think, you know, I've not kind of come from. Well, I've always known that. Yeah, yeah,
2: tell us a bit more about that because that that fascinates me. Because I'm not a, neither of us are gardeners, are they? This is one of the reasons why we got here. We're having a brilliant time, aren't we? Picking your brains, but my mum's always garden. So I've always kind of looked at her in awe of just like everything just thrives and grows. And I've just thought, well, she's just always been into it. And it's something you slowly build up over time. So it's fascinating
0: that you came into it um, later on. Yeah, it was. It was, I, I was about 44, <laughs> 44, you edit that? <laughs>
3: um, and, um, Not gonna.
0: <laughs> and I, and I, um, I was in a flat actually for about 15 years prior to that. And I wanted more space and got a garden um, out in sort of near Richmond way. And I actually, honestly, was, was thinking, my sister is a gardener, she will set up the garden and I will float home with <laughs> the dead hat. Deadhead yes. <laughs> dead a few roses. a few roses. colored glass a- a- of, Kate and
2: Sophie. Absolutely, I was <laughs>
0: definitely on your wavelength for that. And, and she gave me the immortal words, which are the gardening rules. If you go to a new space, wait for a year so that you can see the cycle of year, what comes up. I got the house in September and by March, Nothing's come up. <laughs> the impatient Virgo. And I put a couple of plants in. I think it was um, a couple of herbs, actually, in a but- an old butler's sink that was at the bottom of the garden. And they didn't die. Ooh. Exactly. And of course, the shopper in me, the retail girl, yeah. got to that garden centre and just cracked on, basically. But with that came, which is what everybody does say, once you do start gardening, is the passion comes through. Because once you see the plant that doesn't die, yes. you go, oh, I'll try another. Oh, and I'll try another. And then after that, that's how I got into it. So I was kind of in the end, I think, kind of becoming less fashion and more garden. And I thought, right, OK, what's making me happy right now? And it was being out in my garden. So, I woke up on January 2012, and I promise you, this is absolutely the truth. First of January, I'm going to be a gardener. And then by midday, I cried, going, I don't know anything.
3: That's <laughs> it. I, on the, in January
0: 2012, I went, I'm done with print. I'm going
3: to start writing a blog. And by oh. the end of January, I was going, I oh, don't <laughs> know what digital means. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's, it. that's yes. exactly it. Yeah. So, you almost found yourself in gardening despite yourself it was sort of calling to you yeah. so I'm assuming so you moved at 44 mm. I'm guessing that if you'd said to your 34 year old self you know you're going to leave all these lovely clothes and heels and fashion and you're going to be grubbing around
0: getting your fingernails dirty you'd have been oh no I won't I wouldn't have heard you I'd have been in a club
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd have said sorry
0: can you pass the... <laughs> brilliant yeah so but exactly that and I think that's the thing as well Is is it's never it's never too late at all and I think also it's so important that people of any age think about the skills you've got because I probably I didn't really appreciate the things that I did know from my fashion days because you're just doing it a bit like when you was in print and you know things like now when I think about it I'm like well of course because when we used to go to um, Chelsea Flower Show for colour inspiration if you think about it even way back in textiles and the history of fashion everything is related to plants dyes, mm. prints cotton you know mm. it all comes from plants our yeah. whole world is you know our interiors you know is all influenced by the natural world you know whether oh we're God, choosing linens or cottons or you know flax all of those sorts of things so really we are nature and it yeah. we just um, and i think that the thing is, is that once you do get your hand in soil yes you get a few dirty nails but it is quite a, a grounding feeling quite a healing
2: experience yes, isn't it yes, yes. it can be really good for the soul yes so with the whole concept of taking like the inside Outside, I'm big into colour, can't get enough of it, and I can appreciate we get all this lovely colour in spring and summer. But what about adding colour in different ways? I mean, what are your thoughts on like painting walls or fencing or adding colourful blocks of um, raised
0: beds? Yeah, is that something one can do? I mean, you absolutely can do it. There are great paints that can be used for fences. There are renders now that actually come pre coloured because, of course, the minute you paint, you are increasing the amount of maintenance Mm. that you'll need to do because obviously you'll want to keep that looking really sharp. Um, the other way to bring colour in is the containers. Containers themselves that come in different colours and that can work as well.
3: And one other question, Eric. It, it's coming to that kind of bank holiday season everybody's going to the garden centre so you've gone into the garden centre you've got your credit card flexing. <laughs> Are there kind of four or five fail-safe, good beginner plants to just get people started?
0: Yeah, I mean I think that what I have to go back to remember, you need to know your garden. So you need to know, know, are you putting it in a sunny position or are you putting it in a shady position? If you're gonna look for some plants, herbs. Herbs are good because they are pretty hardy <laughs> and you can yeah. eat them and they are quite quick to grow. So again, you kind of get that quick kick, which is really lovely. Things like lavenders, you know, they are really um, nice to have, but you do need to make sure that they've got good drainage on them because they don't like wet feet. And again, they're really lovely because you can get the fragrance from them as well. They're very good for, for bees as well. I also think that a good plant, if you've got the right aspect is, is grasses actually. Mm. Now, people might go "Mm, grass why would I want to spend my money on a grass you know it's not got a beautiful big flower on it the reason why you want a grass is that it softens the border and it acts as a back foil so when you then go and put in your lovely humdingery flowering plant that you may want it helps to stand it out and it also as well can give some bulk into the border as well and then if you've got a shady area and again it took me a little bit of time but trust me ferns ferns are just lovely i like ferns very calming Green and again, they act as the backfall. So I think sometimes we are very, very always drawn to the high colour. But if you can kind of start to experiment with a little bit of the grasses and the ferns, then you can start to build in the layers into Mm, your border. Love
3: the sound of that. And I know you kind of work towards being aware of climate change and how that's affecting. Are we finished with the classic English lawn and rose garden? You know, are we looking at, Cacti and yeah. dry plants. I mean, is it going to change yeah, a lot? Yeah,
0: really, um, really good question. And the thing is, is that in the UK we don't really experience um, the extreme of climate change that's going on around the rest of the world. We're quite a temperate climate. Um, yes, of course, people will have noticed that when we get rain, my gosh, it oh, really yeah. rains, we get the big downpour. And of course, we are getting warmer summers and wetter wetter winters. So that does um, begin to affect the plant choices that we have. I think that over time, yes, our gardens will change. I mean, I think about my garden when I first uh, started in 2012. You know, I've, I've got peonies and I love them. Oh, I love peonies. love peonies. Absolutely love them. But then I sort of started to see over time that i'd only have to have one of those downpours and they're smashed to smithereens they don't re-flower in the same way that roses do where you know that you'll get another flush later on so even some of the choices of what we would put into our gardens because of the weather and the changing climate by definition will maybe shift how we put our planting palettes together and the importance that what we need to really look at is making sure that our gardens have a diversity of plant material in them that's also good for wildlife you know so you've got things flowering at different times for for pollinators is really important but also as well having that diversity so if i just had literally a peony bed which would be gorgeous until, and, you it, know, rained. until it rained and i don't and especially in a smaller space where you you've got to be really you know choosing which plants you want if it's more diverse and i've got more opportunity for different plants to be able to adapt to different parts of the climate coming back
3: to gardening with regards for wildlife the slugs now i've tried the broken eggshells and they were like what do you mean we don't want to crawl over these we dance on these broken eggshells so that didn't work and then there was something about a glass of beer well they drank that and toddled off down towards whatever it was they were eating What is a what does anything work, or is that part of
0: life cycle that the slugs are going to eat your plants? Well, it's very interesting because we did a piece on this on Gardeners World. The reason why the the slugs can go, Hey, I dance on your (laughs) eggshells is because they'll just produce more mucus. So we kind of think that we think, Oh, god, you know, we're going to dry them out, it's going to kind of razor them. They can just produce more mucus, and there actually are within the garden. There is beneficial slugs and snails. Yeah. But beneficial, slug, You knew I was going to say that, didn't yeah. you? You could tell. Yeah. I can tell it's not the answer that you wanted. <laughs> no, but uh, that's fine. But,
3: we'll go with it. We'll go with it. But, we'll <laughs> with it. but
0: the, the thing, the other way to turn it on its head is this. If I invited you for dinner, dress that table fabulously, you know, gorgeous linens, cutlery the lot, gorgeous dinner comes out and I go, ah don't touch that's not for you you'd be kind of pretty upset and so i think we have to think that our gardens we share them what i call with other clients so if we're going to put out clients they are the other clients we're the paying clients they're the ones in the gardens 24 7 they're the the ones that are there saying come on you lot are all indoors on your iphones and whatever i'm out here using the garden so To turn it on its head, it's to think about the fact that we have to live alongside the wildlife in our garden. And the thing is, it's about sometimes having sacrificial plants you know they need to eat so have some plants that you go yeah do you know what knock yourselves out you're going to eat those and then your your prized uh, plants plants you want maybe you'll put them in a container so that you can move them um around the garden as well being but chased by a horde of marauding <laughs> slugs you will not have my containers <laughs> oh, oh, i love it but i think that's what i've had to do when i think about my garden attitude i i started like everybody else you know thought you had to spray and clip and preen everything with than an inch of its life, and then as I got busier and I had to just let the garden start to do its own thing, you realized, guess what? It's it still works. thriving, and it's actually, in some ways, happier that I'm not touching everything all the time. So it
3: works itself out. It I does. like the
0: idea of a sacrificial plant, yes. that's clever. <laughs> do they, do they, they
3: go have
2: boys? like a favorite thing that's more? Is it is there like you know, the chocolate they, bar of yeah. they love
0: a hosta? They, oh, the, yeah. they do like hostas and they like young shoots as well on, on certain plants. Lupins, I have to say, I've given up on lupins. And it gets to the point where, again, is the case of if you keep putting in the same plant that gets razed. I mean, I would come out like you. I mean, my neighbours, they must have thought I was crazy back in the day <laughs> because like, they would say, why was you out in your garden at 6.30am? Yeah, in shouting. In your PJs. And I'm like, why was you looking at me? <laughs> what were you doing? But but I, but it was true, I was, because I would be out on slug patrol. That's what my mum does. She
2: goes out in the
0: middle of yeah. the night at the torch and her jar, picking them all up. That's off. it, putting them in a the little jar. And then you kind of realise... There's more to life. <laughs> well, um, there's and there's always more slugs, and there's more slugs. Yeah. And, and um, there was this great. i remember watching this great program. It was. I think it was Chris Packham, and he looked at four gardens, and they had this thing. So you know, like when you kind of, you know, you'll you get this snail, and you think, oh, straight over the garden fence into, into the neighbours. You can have that one. And what they did is they marked up these snails. They put different. That's put hilarious. them on different four corners Ooh, of the garden. was going to happen? Yeah. They put them Are in they're the like middle. They, they home. <laughs> They were a home, so that slug. That, make sure you take it for a very long walk. <laughs> so you're like chucking you. it into next door, and it spends three days coming back, back coming back again, and coming back,
3: back
2: over. That's, That's Oh, hilarious. I love it! Literally, taxi for your slugs.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think it's you know like like with the wildlife um, element, gardens and like homes are an aesthetic taste. The difference, as you said earlier, with the garden is that it's living it's the living room it's the room that's got you know that's dynamic so we have to kind of be aware of that and also, to see our gardens as stepping stones to the wider environment, you know, we are becoming more urbanized. You know, there's a lot of us now on this planet and we're taken over. And so every space counts for us to kind of contribute back to, the, to, the, to nature. So if you think of your garden as being this little stepping stone, and of course you might like to have a neat lawn and neat borders, but at the back, you know, you can let it just be a little bit wild, make the grass a little bit longer. Put, your sacrificial, Put plants your sacrificial plants, sacrificial at the back. plants at the back. <laughs> exactly. Train, train yeah. those slugs yeah. to go to the back. <laughs> um, I found that the garden plays itself back to us. The garden is about hope. When you put that bulb in, in the autumn, or grow those seeds, you hope it's gonna germinate. You hope to see the flower come through. And when it does, it's really joyous. Mm. So that you get that reflection back and that's kind of quite a healing process. So if you can engage in your garden, and of course the aesthetic, I mean, I love aesthetics as well, you know, love a good jacket and all of that. <laughs> but, what I have really learned is the fact that it's just being able to go out and see the garden come to life and that's what I really love about it.
2: Oh, a huge thank you to you, Arit, for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> a giggle for a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a giggle. Always an excuse to have a giggle with us yeah. too. Uh, and don't forget, listeners, for more garden design inspiration, you can follow Arriet on Instagram where she's Arit Anderson and she has a podcast too. It's called growing greener and you know while you're at it why don't you give us a follow too i'm sophie robinson interiors and she's mad about the house and of course the facebook group always full of inspo and wisdom of all sorts so do check it out the great indoors podcast page
3: So, now that we're back inside, in the great indoors this time, none (laughs) of that outside windy stuff, we're in my library. Let's turn our attention to the rest of the show and our next
2: topic. Before we do that, I'm feeling like I owe you an apology. Oh, are we recording? (gasps) Excellent. Can you make me?
3: I've no idea what you're apologising for, but I want it big, I want it fulsome.
2: I want it since sincere would be good. Oh, this is sincere. This is, is it? A, this is well, this is a big uh, this is a big apology that doesn't just go out to UK, but probably goes out to the thousands and thousands of people who DM'd me on the 1st of April to congratulate me on my exciting new paint range. <laughs> so just to everybody up to speed mm. uh, i'm did. just drumming my <laughs> fingers can you hear that yeah right looking forward to this areas. just to fill everybody in i did a little cheeky april the first fool's day prank shall we call it mm. on my instagram it was quite kind of like i hadn't really planned it i was uh in a long car journey actually and just fancy i was like oh it's april fools i'll um a prank on my post thinking that everybody would clearly get it so just to refresh read out what i wrote yeah yeah i'd love you to hear it again oh you would would you yeah i would i would so this is what i wrote in my post I'm so excited to finally, capital letters, announce I've launched my own range of paints. As you know, I've always had a tricky relationship with grey, but it's time to admit defeat and recognise its rightful place as the number one go-to colour for interior decorating. My new collection of paint is called 50 Shades and will help you navigate the excruciating and complex journey of picking the perfect grey from motorway service station All the way through to January drizzle. My personal favourite is Monday Morning, which is the perfect hue for bedrooms to help you make sure you never feel the urge to get out from under that cosy duvet. Tell me what your favourite grey is and why, and let me know in the comments below. And then, thousands of comments. (laughs) Mm. Most people going, oh yeah, April Fool's, nice one. And quite a lot of people going... Oh, congratulations! So, should we just um, quickly flick through to your comment because this is well, yours was actually, my favourite. Actually, before because I'm still
3: not hearing the words. I'm so sorry. Before we get that far, I I had you know we'll go into the background here. I've already by this stage in the day fallen for about fourteen April Fools. <laughs> Because I am essentially a quite nice trusting person. And I started the day on Twitter where the great environmentalist George Monbiot announced that he was going to be the government's new czar on all things green. And I thought, oh my God, that's such good news. That's so brilliant. Oh, so, you know, this is how my day is going. I haven't been on Instagram Then I go on Instagram and I get a message from you, from
1: you! Oh, yes, I DM'd you.
3: Oh my God, I've been wanting to tell you about this for so long. At which point, let's just say, dear listener, plot slightly lost. A paint range, something I have toyed with the idea of doing, been quite interested in. And you (laughs) pop up, so not only are you keeping secrets from me, but you're doing a paint range. I have to say, in all honesty, I didn't even clock the fact that it was grey. I was just (laughs) fell for it. And then I realised it was an April Fool. But... We went further with that day because yes. about 20 minutes later, Abigail Ahern popped up oh, and right. said she'd finally cracked it. She was going to produce a range of leopard print paint she oh, yes. did with a picture with a tin. Did and you fall for th- Have, th- I, have oh, I learned really. my lesson? Oh, no. I'm going, oh, that's amazing. I wonder if they have to paint two layers or <laughs> slightly reflective paint. I literally am having a 20-minute conversation with myself about leopard print paint. And then I realised, and then... I noticed that someone had gone, oh, this old joke with the tartan paint, at which point I thought, okay, I'm just going to get into bed. I'm just not doing the day anymore. The day is done.
2: I have history with April Fools' though. You do? Well, I How do I know? And I'd have started this years earlier. Well, I could have had so much fun with it. It's going I was be. about
3: 14 years old, which is obviously about 114 years ago. And I was listening to Radio 1. It was Gary Davis. And he said, Ooh, we're Gary going Davis. to do a special listener survey, he said. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And he said, so at 11 o'clock precisely, I'll tell you when. I want you all to say out loud... I'm listening, he said, (laughs) and we will be able to tell and find out how many people are actually listening. Right. And I thought, this is genius. (laughs) So there I am. I'm listening, Gary. I'm listening to you. (laughs) I didn't know that was an April (laughs) Fool. For years. Years. So, and I can see, not only are you wetting your knickers, our producer is practically on the floor. I don't think she'll ever... Recover from my gullibility. So you can all apologise to me now because I believe everything I'm told.
2: And I'm going with that makes me a nice person. Oh, I didn't. I, I had no idea I'd revealed quite such a deep trauma, Kate. I'm it's so quite sorry. Trauma. <laughs> and you still haven't said sorry. <laughs> so I'm sorry. How I'm sorry. sorry. No, I am sorry. I'm sorry to you. I had DMs from my brother congratulating <laughs> me, a couple of my best friends going, Yay, amazing news. I was like, Did you feel guilty? No, because you sent me a message. You kidding. sent me a message saying I practically ended
3: myself with hysteria at your response to me. Well, what no I deal. ended up feeling is does nobody really know who I am? <laughs> And then also that American stylist, is it Emily Henderson? Yeah, She did one about a range of furniture. Right. And I was like, oh, interesting. So follow the link. And then she starts talking about how she's got these shells harvested from the base of the ocean only at a full moon by divers <laughs> wearing certain outfits. And I'm like, seems quite extreme. <laughs> I then thought, oh, hang on a minute, but but literally (laughs) fell for it about 14 times in a single day.
2: Oh, bless you, Kate. I just think you're right. This time next year, just don't get out of bed for the day. Well, apart from one colour. I know the perfect colour. Monday morning, it's the perfect (laughs) right to keep you in bed. (laughs) I'm banning it. I'm banning April 4th. (laughs) So, lovely listeners, we were planning on talking to you all things eco paint. I've got a heap of notes here. We've deep dived journo style to bring you everything you need to know, but we're going to make you wait a couple of weeks because actually that interview with Arit I felt was so amazing, and I just would hate our producer Kate to have to clip that back to its bare bones. So we're going to keep that nice and long, and instead I'm going to put my feet up. Got a nice cup of tea here on the go. April Fool! There's oh, cup no, of tea. I know, oh, I have a bit of Kate's house. <laughs> get your own tea. <laughs> I have to get my own tea. Feet up, I thought we could flick through some of the latest books instead. Lovely. Uh, so we've got a lovely big pile of new interior design books. We've got Hotel to Home, uh, the Warehouse Home. We've got, ooh, this is a heavy tome that I've lugged all the way up from the south coast in my backpack. Do you hear the thud? Hold on. Do you hear that satisfying thud? That's uh, Anna Spiro's new book, A Life in Patterns. She is, like, my favourite interior designer. We've got uh, Faded Glamour by The Sea uh, by Pearl Lowe And Ooh. Relaxed Living, Happy Home by Atlanta Bartlett and Dave Coote. So, crack on Well, that's at the top of your okay, pile. OK, we do that first, So. Then? Atlanta Bartlett's a stylist for
3: many years. I first came across her actually, Living Etc. used to do every year uh, the annual white issue, do you Mm. remember? And it was all white furniture. And she had a house that was very white, wasn't she? And that's where I first noticed her styling. And she works with her husband, Dave Coote. And they're kind of famous for this style and their design, film, photography. And this book is celebrating...
2: It's a bit of shabby chic, isn't it? I'm going straight in there. I'm going yeah, straight in there because hesitating. Her, her sort of, I think one of her really well-known books is The Relaxed Home. That was, I don't know how old that is now. God, it might be 20 years old. I'm trying to remember, but one of, you know, it was a real classic and she really owned that kind of beautiful coastal shabby chic white on white faded florals galvanized planters collections of shells cloches you know all those classic shabby chic things and what's lovely actually and i do think it's lovely she's brought out a new book and it's she she's still owning this look isn't she it's still the same it's dried hydrangea heads battered old leather armchairs As I said, she's a stylist, so lovely, lovely displays of antique vintage mirrors, faded chintz cushions, really kind of like warehouse, slubby, rustic floorboards. It's the dream.
3: So it's interesting you talk about shabby chic because on the one hand, this kind of distressed, as you say, there's a lot of white, but it's distressed white paint. Her big thing is how you can make all-white interiors look interesting because you have lots of different textures and different fabrics, which we've talked about using a restricted colour palette before. But I've got to say, Shabby Chic has had a bit of a bad name for itself. Mm. And yet, you know, perhaps it's coming back. Has it got a new name? I
2: think, <laughs> did it ever go away? Is what I'm going to say. I think you're right. I think shabby chic really came through in the 90s and the early Mm. noughties, I would say. And and for anybody who's scratching their head going, what is that? It is shabby and it is chic. It's kind of really, what I like about it, it's quite a low maintenance look. It's quite affordable because it's a lot of thrifty shopping. It's a lot of secondhand. But everything's a bit battered, knocked. Mark, like I said, really old leather armchairs, scrubbed floorboards, washed out linens. So I think it's a very livable look, which is why it's so popular. You get your chalk paint out, you're slapping your old brown furniture, turning it white. It's very it's very accessible. Do you know what I think maybe my problem with it was and why I think it,
3: com- it comes back now and it works? I think because it got so popular, there was an awful lot of... Paint your furniture and distress it. Mm. Paint your perfectly good furniture and sand it down and rub it off and make it look distressed. Give it bring the shabbiness mm. in. And I think that's why I didn't like it because it felt to me inherently fake. And where oh. we are now in 2022, where you know everybody's feeling a bit more positive about being sustainable, everybody's trying harder. To We're reuse, celebrating,
2: yeah. we are
3: celebrating the vintage. We are celebrating the shabbiness. So this time round, the shabbiness is real and let's make it chic rather than let's have something and fake it. And suddenly I feel more on board with it now. do you? Because it feels more authentic. But I do, you know, I It's very divisive,
2: isn't it? I remember when I was hosting the Great Interior Design Challenge, which ran from 2011 to 2016-ish. Gosh, I'm even forgetting the dates. But there was a lot of shabby chic going on there. Daniel Hopwood would be apoplectic he absolutely hated it <laughs> well his style is much more refined yeah, and perfect yeah he isn't loves it? antique furniture and the patina the patina of that darling. wood darling you know that Victorian table has been around for 150 years and now you've slathered it in paint like you couldn't bear it Um, So I think it is quite Marmite. People either love that look or they don't. I think if you want a light and bright and soft interior, painting your dark, heavy antique pieces in a pale white or grey, because this is a very white on white look, as you've said... Breathes new fresh light into a space. So I think it comes down to taste. But what Ad- Atlanta is the expert in this look, 100%. She completely owns it. And like I said, over the years, she's never wavered. This isn't a trend for her, you know, this is a way of life. So if you like this shabby chic look, if you want to breathe lightness and brightness and softness and a kind of rustic femininity into your home, she is the woman who's going to show you how to do it. And she breaks down her methodology really well in this book. So it's really easy easy to understand how she pulls it together how she styles it polly reef has done the photography one of my Fantastic favorite interiors photographer. photographers yeah. so the photography is mouth-watering so i guess what we're saying is if you like a bit of shabby chic it's okay it's no longer frowned upon in fact i think there was a piece in the times at the end of last year that cat burrows wrote about sort of and i think if it's been in the times and cat burrows giving it a thumbs up that that must mean it's okay doesn't it i think so and i think just flicking through this
3: book it does draw you in. I mean, it is kind of country living. It's pretty, but it does look relaxing. It's not precious. It's mm. it's celebrating stuff that's mismatched, that's a bit chipped. It feels kind of right for now because it's not... It doesn't have to be really expensive. You can mm. come in and sit down and not have to take your shoes off or worry about a bit of mud. You know, even though it's all white, it feels that you can you can live in it comfortably and it's not too precious and that just
2: feels kind of nice for now and it's pretty it and is. It's pretty. nostalgic. It's non threatening. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Kate. It's I think what we lead a we need bit. Do we
3: non-threatening. need a bit of that? Don't we? we do. So we like that. So if that's something that is chiming with your mood at the moment, then Relaxed Living, Happy Home by Atlanta Bartlett and David Coote is a lovely, it's a lovely book for a rainy afternoon. I feel relaxed I, just looking at it.
2: I, well, I think that's it. So I really did as well. And the other book, which is quite similar, to be fair, but it's by Pearl Lowe, who we love. We've met Pearl, she's been on the podcast. We did a fantastic house. Tour with her in her house in Somerset. Well, if you want a bit of escapism, if this is where we're going with this, <laughs> yes if this you is the want one. a bit of escapism, this is the one. So, Pearl Lowe, you know, ex singer, fashion designer, interior designer, and wife of pop star Danny Goffey. I mean, she's just living the dream already. So, yeah. she's got her beautiful country manor in Somerset. She's now bought a little beach house in East Sussex on the beach. And it's very I just want to live again. vicariously through yeah. Pearl, really. It's yeah. so lovely. And she writes so beautifully about how this has been a lifelong dream of her and Danny's to have a little bolt hole. And this is a couple who've had, I think it's fair to say, quite a glamorous international jet-setty lifestyle. And she says, you know, she's travelled to some of the most amazing beaches all around the world. Always thought that they'd buy a beach house somewhere and actually... At the end, they've chosen the UK to have their beach house. I thought that was quite interesting. That's quite nice, isn't it? But I also think her first book was called
3: Faded Glamour. This is Faded Glamour by the Sea. And I wonder actually if this is shabby chic grown up because Mm. it's a similar idea except... Pearl's probably got more colour in it.
2: Well, she's but it's actually... vintage, not it? And it's not being perfect and... Oh, yeah. I mean, again, it, this is why I think it's interesting. The shabby chic trend is definitely yeah. filtering back. Daniel and close your ears. Uh, <laughs> it's coming back. And I think we're seeing that in these books. Actually, Atlanta's house is in here. So, oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. So Pearl's basically put her new house by the sea in here. And then some of her fabulous friends beach houses in here so there's oodles and oodles of inspiration most of the UK and then at the end there's the Malibu beach house of Rachel Ashwell who was the mother of Shabishik who took that look over to America um, so again, lots and lots to learn. But you know what? I'm not really reading this for interior design advice. I'm reading this for pure escapism. It's really romantic. It's really living the dream. It's kind and of like there's lots of kind of painted tongue and groove
3: on the yes. walls, and it's, it's, all, it's all that weatherboard, clapboard, lacy curtains,
2: vintage lampshades collections of shells. There's a tassel and a fringe on absolutely
3: everything. It's a lovely bit of escapism again. So it's escapism like Atlantis, but with more colour in it. But I'm here for that at the moment yeah (laughs) live the dream (laughs) on to our next book it's called Hotel to Home, Industrial Interiors Inspired by the World's Most Original Hotels by Sophie Bush. Now, Sophie may be known to some of you for her first book on her website, mywarehousehome.com. She's an ex-Conde Nast journalist, so she knows about layout and writing. And she started off because she lived in a warehouse and did it up and has made a whole kind of career out of it. And her first book, Warehouse Home was about that style. But interestingly, I think that that had quite a specific audience. You know, not only do not many of us live in warehouse homes, but it's a style that might be quite difficult to bring into your Victorian Terrace or your Sussex country cottage so she's now gone one step further and she's looked at some of the most beautiful hotels in the world and had a look at how you can bring that style into your own home and we've talked a lot I certainly never stop talking about how hotels are brilliant for inspiration for interiors because they've got to get a lot into a small space if you want an ensuite bathroom have a look at some hotel plans because they're trying to do it in small spaces so it's really practical from that point of view. And of course, hotels can be beautiful. So she looks at some great hotels and will then say, you know, she's got a section on coloured concrete, how to get the look or how to use well, I think it's linen worth, it, it's and leather.
2: you've picked up on the concrete because flicking through that book, that is a book in praise of the crittle window. <laughs> we love a crittle window in this And house. there's a lot of concrete. So it's still within her warehouse aesthetic. It's not got the sort of like, plush velvet button-backed hotels literally
3: i've just opened the book it's fallen open on my lap sophie because it knew you were here (laughs) on a chapter called vibrant colors so for example i've fallen open here on a page which has the steels you know if you extend your house you have to put a (laughs) steel in to hold the ceiling up and in this particular page someone's painted them in bright turquoise Mm, and had pink furniture Mm. so it's
2: it's it's still got all that sort of exposed conduit piping bare light bulbs ply. Word concrete so it's that's the if you like that industrial hotel look it's extrapolating that and showing you using the photography of all these fabulous hotels and then breaking it down on how you can create that look yourself i have to say
3: we're catering for everyone today because we've gone from the soft relaxed shabby cheek to faded glamour and now we are going more industrial and and how to do it but like you say this is the palette and the visual language is very different it's It's very different mm. and it's more it's a tighter Idea. It's much less relaxed, but mm. it's very beautiful. It's very photographic. And, and this it's is much a book more your comfort tea, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot, lot think more in line is. with
2: your aesthetic. Yeah. Mate- it's a celebration of materials. I'm not seeing any chintzy cushions in there. There's no There's chintzy no fringing.
3: cushions. If you're into the chintzy cushions, <laughs> then you want Pearl or Atlantis book. Or Oh, Shall we here move we on? on? Well, that one I can't even lift.
2: That oh, but it looks lovely. this is my—I've saved my favourite to last. So we are—we're definitely covering a little bit of something for everybody. We're because are a broad church. The book I've got is Anna Spiro's second book, *A Life in Pattern*. It's absolutely massive. It's one for the coffee table. For sure, what would you say? That's A3 size. I mean, it's a big book, isn't it? It's bound in it's linen. A three, but it's big, in a yes. linen
3: floral a fabric. Printed linen. And as someone print. who's written a book or two, let me tell you, you it's hard to get That's a linen special. cover. I've never been allowed one. The a printed linen cover print, with
2: neon orange yeah. embossed writing. I mean, this is already just feeling like the most beautiful gift. Now, if anyone doesn't know who Anna Spirit is, first of all, you absolutely must go and find out. She's an Australian interior designer. She's in my camp of all the colour, all the pattern, all the maximalism, all at once. Pattern clashing, all the styling, more is more. Absolutely gorgeous. So if you love colour, you love maximalism, you like textiles, you just got to buy this book. It's an I'll tell you what's interesting, delight.
3: looking at that book, and I'm I'm now looking at it from slightly across the room but it's interesting because I'm not looking necessarily at the detail of the rooms but how the book has been put together and that's what makes this such a joy I mean it's really expensive isn't it yeah it's it's, um it's a 40 quid book it's a 40 quid book but there's illustration some of the pages have little motifs and sort of designs down them some of the pages look like they've been printed on a patchwork duvet cover there's different colors of print as in letters it's a joy to just look at and I find very often and I'm I'm alone in this in this room I think I tend to want a book that I can read because you know pages after pages of nice pictures is like yeah you know I want more reading, but that is a book. No, this is a book. I want me. to look through. It's a bit yeah. it's a mood board. You could yes. look at each page. You want and to drink it in. I really do. And what's making me really excited about this book, because we have only one copy, and Sophie bought it. And she said at the beginning, if you were paying attention, that it's a book, and I totally agree with her, that would make a beautiful gift. And obviously, as someone who has been so badly treated by her and her <laughs> April Fools, I can see I know where this. That is This is a gift that is coming to me and I am so excited. Thank you, Sophie. I love this book and I'm very happy... That you won't be carrying it home with you. I can see floor plans, diagrams. There's a great
2: idea with the tracing paper. Is this my apology? Yeah. Is this my apology yeah. book? And I'm not it. Do you I'm know what? It, it weighs an absolute ton. I don't fancy taking it back on the train with me, so yes, let's do
0: that. Yeah, I don't we get well, We also, can be I, friends again. Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know I was in doubt. It was borderline. Let me tell you. Podcast nearly came to an end there. <laughs> Um, I think you're right about it being a gift. I mean, I would uh, gift you 100%, Kate, of course, but a gift yourself. I think if you love colour and you love design, I would say, I'm sure I haven't, I mean, this is so new, this book. I haven't had a chance to read it. I don't feel compelled that I need to. I'm just enjoying the photography, but there will be lots of tips and insight into Anna's design philosophy. She, I know from her last book, she's somebody who just eats, drinks and sleeps interiors. She's so passionate about um, textile and colour and she's really generous and where she sources stuff from and how she puts different things together. You know, I think with any maximalist interior designer, the look is always quite complicated. You know, how do you get 60 different patterns working in a room when it's on the walls, it's on the floors, it's on, you know, every sofa is in a different pattern fabric and then there are occasional chairs in a different fabric and then they've got pattern textiles on top. So it's that really, really layered look. But the photography is mouth-watching, all that lovely Australian sunlight washing well, through helps. the windows. That does help.
3: It's an expensive book, but I feel like you get a lot from it because you could sit down. I think my problem with a lot of coffee table books is it's it's almost like a magazine. You have a quick flick through, you look at the pictures, you may go back to a bit of the words, but you're kind of done. You've had that first pass. Mm. And when you go back to it again, it's to look at the same photograph in more detail. The thing I think you get about Anna's book is that you would go through it and you might actually initially go through and have a look at the photographs. But then you might go back and think, well, actually, let me look at the shapes of those baths she's illustrated there. Or is that drawing on the side actually something that I might be interested in using as a motif so I think it's a book you could go through it on sort of four or five different levels before you feel you've done it and
2: that's where it feels actually you are getting something for the money I
3: would
1: me, like to have if, had a book if that I'm ever like that. feeling
2: a bit down I just go to it for a big dopamine hit I think I mean you just yeah. open every any page and it's just the color and the pattern and the joy springs from every page so that's my antidote to any kind of Monday morning blues. Well, it's my antidote now, because it's mine.
3: (laughs) Um, And I will be ringing my publisher and
2: saying, where is my printed linen cover? (laughs) Time now for this week's style surgery,
1: which comes from Amy. Hi, Kate and Sophie. It's Amy Down from rural Wiltshire here. I'm in a room that's in the centre of my house, which is two cottages converted into one. It's a room we walk through to access the kitchen, the front door and the rest of the house. My builder very unkindly called it the room that's not a room room because it doesn't really have a purpose. But what it does have is seven openings. It has a door to my study, a door to the front porch, a window, an inglenook fireplace, a square arch to an inner hall leading to the staircases and a door to the kitchen. The ceilings are low, I'm five foot four and I can easily touch them. I do not know how to approach painting this room. There are so many architraves around the doors, tongue-groove doors, glazed window to the porch, multi-pane window, a square arch. I love colour, Sophie. I want some warmth, I want it to be lively, but how can I uh, avoid it not looking too chaotic with all the openings? I don't really want to paint the windows, which are wood, but I'm happy to paint at other surfaces. Any ideas? I'd love to hear them. Thanks. First of all, I'd like to know what is a square (laughs) arch. come
2: up with that first is that washed completely over me i was like yeah obviously square arch because you
3: were so busy thinking that about what is... to do with all the doors i mean i i'm going to say first of all while this might appear like quite a niche question because perhaps <laughs> not many of us have rooms that are not rooms amy and we will come to your room i think lots of people have houses or particularly hallways if you live in flats with lots of doors mm. off them so it can feel a difficult for furniture placement or quite messy, so I think it's it's a valid question.
2: A room of doors. A room so of it's doors. not a room. That's not a room. Room. It's a room of doors.
3: Yes. And what do you do
2: about them? And so, the odd square arch thrown in.
3: Yes, which you know might need a yes. photograph
2: of that. So okay. <laughs> but
3: my, see, I can't can't get a word in. Edgeways. So the first problem I think you have with a room of doors or a hall with lots of doors is that it can instantly look cluttered and messy and that's what, even, just because what, you've got all the you were very often in a classic scenario you might have let's say white walls and wooden doors and you've got architraves and skirting boards and then you might have a bit of furniture here or a few coats if it's a hallway you're trying to hang pictures the whole thing is immediately quite stressful oh right I think. because okay. And then you've got some doors open, some doors closed. You've got hints of other rooms, different Ooh. colours. There's a lot going on. Okay. And people probably aren't keeping the doors closed all the time. Oh, so
2: is that the first thing? Shut the door. Oh, as my mother would say, shut the door, you don't live in a barn. That was classic childhood. She's just off, isn't she? <laughs> Amy, I must
3: apologise for my co-presenter here. I'm trying to No, I just want
2: to know where you... this is going, Kate. It's like, we've got a hallway,
3: there's lots of doors, and... Where I'm going is... Yes. I think the first and obvious thing to do is to paint the doors to match the walls. I knew you were so you say calm that. it down. It is quite you're an obvious solution, all out in one color. but you're going to paint it all out in okay. one color. If it's a windowless space, you might not want to go dark, but you can go pale. So if you go pale, skirting boards, ceilings, all the woodwork, then you don't necessarily have to have so the you're doors not closed picking because picking things a out in
2: color, you're just washing the same color, washing track, the same, unifying color. it all in one. Yeah, absolutely. and the hope that you're creating a more homogenized.
3: Yeah. So it's not feeling busy and cluttered and stressy. Now, in Amy's case, where there is this weird room in the middle of two other houses, clearly there isn't room for furniture. It's only going to be a passing through place. So I would say to deal with Amy's issue, I would paint it all that, choose your dark colour and wherever there's wall, hang pictures and make it into a mini internal art gallery. Because I think that's probably all you can do with it.
2: Well, unless there are it's all full of
3: doors and archways and windows. In, there, which, in case she might not have room, but if she has, I think that's all you could do with
2: it. Well, I think that's very underwhelming advice. Paint well, what are all, you gonna do? Paint it all one colour. On, well, then. I don't know. I mean, I thought Amy's description of her room was really quite magical. It sounded quite quirky and weird. Funny windows, funny archways, ingle nooks, doors, maybe the doors are different. I don't know. I was getting quite a kind of like magical you're going a bit harry potter yeah a bit Hogwarts. i am secret place exactly so i was thinking okay so this is quite an eccentric space a kind of like mismatch accumulation of weird architectural bits that have all ended up being thrown together over many many years i mean this is what the lovely quirky thing about some of the mm. buildings in this country that evolved over time and i'd kind of like embrace that and i'd almost be tempted to pick everything out in a different color and celebrate the quirkiness and the weirdness. Have a cornice in a bright blue. Have a yellow door. Have a pink door. Paint the walls a different colour. up the skirting. The inglenook fireplace could be a different colour. What I about? I feel wallpaper? my pulse is racing. My pulse is going faster and faster and faster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not averse to having the cornice I in there. Different... Have some stained glass windows. Are going Ooh. in there. There's some uh, mounted animal heads. Persian carpets on the floor. There's hat stand. Grandfather clock. Cuckoo clock. Come on, let's do the whole. Yeah, that's what I'm channeling. Okay, and I'm going, <laughs> let's just go. Calm it
3: all down people, calm it all down. Let's make it a space saturated in your favourite colour so it is a pleasure to walk through, but it's not stressful. And then if you have the doors open to the other rooms which you have decorated beautifully, they will be enticing
2: you in and looking like tempting places to go. Or because it's not a room you have to hang around in, because it's a room you only travel through, have some fun with it, go to town. Pattern, ceiling, wallpaper, gilt, ceiling. Have some fun. I mean, it depends, Amy, what on the rest of the house is. You did say that you're a colour lover like me. So Kate's idea of painting it all out in a pale and disinteresting colour is never going to wash, I is it, quite I never said frankly. pale and disinteresting. I
3: said just the same colour. <laughs> I said you could absolutely do it in a dark colour if you wanted to or just do the ceiling. I just said that you might want to keep it to one
2: colour or tonal colours. I would find a wallpaper that you love... If it can't go on the walls, think about sticking it on the ceiling. I know you've got low ceilings, but that's fine because it's just a room that isn't a room. So as I said, we don't have to worry about it. Just make it feel magical and fantastic. But keep your palette quite tight. So maybe choose colours from that wallpaper that you could pick out, a bit like the Victorians did. You know, channel a bit of William Morris. Pick out your architraves in a dark red. Then you've got a forest green maybe. Maybe there's a bit of gold coming through. I don't know, Amy. It depends what your colour palette is. Or you could buy Anna Spiro's book she's got yellow um windows with turquoise she specifically said she didn't want to paint the windows were you listening oh, you got did. distracted no, by the square well arch. i'm sorry amy paint your windows yellow anna, anna <laughs> sabiro put a mural on the walls yeah, I'd say have
3: some fun for it. I think, for it. That, I think I think that is the key point, much as it pains me to agree with you today of all days. But <laughs> I think the point I would say is you are never going to be able to do anything useful with this room. It's got too many doors. It's got too many random shapes. It's got, you know, square arches and inglenook fireplaces and all the rest of it. So you can really only have fun with it and you need to pick a colour, pick a wallpaper or something that's going to make you happy when you're going through it. I'm assuming... I don't think you specifically said, but I'm guessing you're only in there when you're trying to get to somewhere else. So that is, as Sophie said, absolutely a reason to have fun with it and just make it somewhere that makes you happy when you're walking through it rather than, oh, my God, there's all these doors, it's a mess, I don't know what to do with it. It's never going to be a useful space. So just celebrate that and paint it in an outrageous way that you love.
2: And on that note, I win. I beg your pardon? I just won that argument. I just I just say no. And and let's a for, for that in that the argument. podcast. <clears throat> One nil. Just saying.
3: I don't want to do this podcast anymore.
2: <laughs> I just totally won that. I don't think you did. Totally and utterly won that. Go on, that's for it. You can make your own tea there. I'm not making you tea. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Amy. And of course, if you have a star surgery question we can help with, do send us a voice note at thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And we'll do our very best to help are you picking up the
3: noise of my sons in the kitchen with their chips that they've just brought back? We will be bringing this podcast to a speedy end because uh, we're going to go and steal their chips. So there will be pretty pictures of us gadding about in the park and more useful images as well over on the blogs.
2: I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. But for now, thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective. And thanks so much to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors and maybe a little bit in the outdoors. (laughs) Now chips. Now chips.